With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. When you meet someone online, can you trust they are who they say they are? I keep thinking so much about you. She's so stunning. It's all well planned. Love, Janessa is the true crime podcast from the BBC World Service and CBC Podcasts, exploring the world of online romance scams. And it's available now. Find it wherever you found this podcast. This is World Business Report. I'm Rahul Tandon. Thank you so much for joining us. Let's start the programme by continuing the BBC World Service's coverage of the situation in Turkey and Syria. Following Monday's earthquake, a state of emergency has been declared across a large part of Turkey as those efforts continue to rescue people, many of them trapped under rubble. Thousands of people have died. That death toll is continuing to rise. Bedia Gukum is a local restaurant owner in the southern Turkish city of Adana. She says people are feeling frightened and desperate. Imagine yourself as a father or a mother with your whole building collapsed and your children inside. We are trying to get soup kitchens out there to feed people, but these people won't leave their buildings to go and get a cup of soup somewhere. These people are wet, they are hungry, and they're trying to save their loved ones. It's just mind-boggling how hard it is. A desperate situation vividly described there. Help has begun arriving in Turkey from across the world, though less has been able to reach Syria. Abdul Kafi Alamado is in the western countryside of Aleppo. He told the BBC how things look today. People out of electricity, out of water, out of bread, out of humanitarian access. Most people who lost their houses are in the streets, living now at school or at mosques, just in the wild, in the cold, having nothing. Now, after more than 30 hours passed, in fact, we're speaking about more than 36 hours passed, nevertheless, no single help entered Syria. No single aids entered Syria. Some went to Turkey, some went to regime areas, but one of the most devastated areas that is already devastated even before the earthquake had nothing till now. Let's go to the Turkish capital now, Ankara, and speak to the BBC's Victoria. Craig, somebody who knows Turkey very well and is reporting there for us. Uh, Victoria, give us a sense of what it's like in the the capital, the shock that people must be feeling, their desperation as they try and reach out to relatives and other parts of Turkey who may be trapped under that rubble. 
Yeah, as you say, this is a huge country. And even here, some 700 kilometers north of the epicenter of this disaster, and even further up in Istanbul, there have been very clear indications of what's happening. You know, search and rescue crews and volunteers have been streaming in and out of Istanbul airport in the last 24 hours or so. I flew in here to Ankara last night and saw a very large group of them. I mean, you wouldn't have guessed that it was the middle of the night, <laughs> uh, judging by how many people were just all around the airport trying to figure out where to go and how to be helpful. Um, today, President Erdogan declared a seven-day national mourning period, um, and that means that flags are now flying at half-staff on buildings across the country. Um, as you pointed out, he's also called on other nations for help, and the response has really been very swift. In a speech today, he said that 70 countries and 14 international aid organizations have already offered their support. And I must say, even at a time of such extreme disaster, there's also this incredible sense of community and almost resilience too. And it's something that I'm always struck by here in Turkey. Today, people have been lining up in all kinds of places across this city, the capital, doing what they can to help people affected by this massive earthquake. Um, I went to one blood donation center. It was just a, a trailer that they had set up yesterday just to try to you know, help relief efforts. And today when I went about midday, hundreds of people were lined up. There were They were circling this trailer in tents. Um, some people waiting hours just to donate blood. Um, I started by speaking to a medic who was volunteering there and she told me why she felt so moved to help. Seeing people on the news, seeing uh, people we love or suffer, it's hard when you're not doing anything, and it's a bit easier when you're helping people make an impact or making an impact yourself. So um, I think it's a responsibility uh, as part of the community. Just give us a sense, because we're standing in the middle of a very busy part of um, Ankara, yes. and there is a line of people stretching all the way around us. It's going 360 degrees. How many people, if you had to guess, have you helped or ha have donated blood? Is, do you think hundreds, thousands in the last two days? Uh, maybe even more because yesterday in Sahia, Sahia is a, a bit less crowded place. Uh, there was there was a big crowd there too, and people because this is like the um, hotspots of Ankara, they come here and they take their times off work, they take their times off taking care of their children. I think yesterday this location worked until eleven o'clock, so we eleven p.m. Yes, eleven p.m. and we still couldn't take draw all the people's blood. They had to fill out their forms again and stand in line again and people are doing that people are not people are not leaving so that's one of the volunteer workers at the red crescent blood donation center here in ankara i also heard from a couple of people who had waited an hour or two in quite literally sub sub-zero freezing temperatures about why they were willing to wait so long to help what motivated me here is that you know i believe in only in one thing it is humanity, and now we, uh, you know, people are suffering in the in which the disaster happened. So now we're blessed. Still, we need to help them. Well, it's a huge catastrophe. We were we were not prepared, and we need every possible help from all worlds. And that's that's like only thing I can do. I'm going to donate some of my clothes, uh, maybe some other things, but what else I can do? As we heard there from those volunteers, Victoria, clearly people wanting to help people obviously need money. They need support at this time. Um, that is the situation in Turkey. What do we know about northern Syria? Information a lot harder to get from that part. 
Yeah, it really is. Well, what we know so far is that more than 1,600 people are reported to have died in Syria from this disaster. And there have been absolutely heart-wrenching reports of people calling out for help from underneath the rubble. And in some places, doctors and medical workers having to prioritize treatment based on perceived survivability. I mean, absolutely horrible stuff. The Associated Press also reported earlier that a United Nations spokesperson said 224 buildings in the northwestern part of Syria were destroyed, including warehouses storing aid. Victoria, we're going to hear more from you in about 15 minutes' time towards the end of the programme. Thank you for bringing us up to date on the situation. Sinan Ulgan is director of Idam, an Istanbul-based think tank and a senior fellow at Carnegie Europe in Brussels. Thanks for joining us at what is, of course, a very difficult time for Turkey. Um, No country is able to deal with the scale of the devastation that Turkey and Syria have seen over the last 24 hours. But some are more economically prepared than others. What is the extent of the economic damage Turkey is facing? Well, it's difficult to say at this point. We don't know the exact tally, but obviously uh, this has been a very devastating blow. So uh, there will be economic repercussions. Uh, Turkey is a country that has uh, at least the fiscal space uh, to address these concerns. Uh, Unlike many European countries, uh, the public debt uh, to GDP ratio is low in Turkey, uh, around uh, 35%, uh, which means that the government uh, can create the resources, even if that means uh, taking on more debt. Uh, But obviously, this comes at a critical time uh, because uh, the economy has been uh, suffering uh, as a result of some Mm. uh, misjudged uh, economic decisions, particularly on the side of interest rate policy and ahead of uh, a set of critical elections that will take place in all likelihood in mid-May. Yeah, which are coming very soon. So can I ask you, the area of Turkey that has been affected... What sort of region is that economically? Is it a poorer part of Turkey? Is it a richer part of Turkey? Uh, Indeed, uh, it is a rather uh, poor part of Turkey. Uh, It is not uh, what we construe as the uh, center of uh, industry or trade. Uh, These are regions that are closer to Syria, so their livelihood uh, depends uh, on on trade with, uh, with particularly with Syria. Um, but uh, the main industrial heartland uh, is Istanbul and the neighborhood uh, and also tourism in the south. Those, uh, those regions remain unaffected. Yeah. One of the things that is being picked up on at the moment is the quality of some of the buildings that we've seen collapsing. Lots of videos that we've seen of them coming down maybe quicker than they should. Is that a matter of concern? Will that become a matter of debate? I mean, clearly the first priority is rescuing people, but after that, questions will be asked. Absolutely, and they they need to be asked uh, because we know that Turkey uh, is in a geography uh, that is prone to produce these type of earthquakes. Uh, There is one uh, that will ultimately hit Istanbul, and that would surely be a big one. Uh, And therefore, the right response is really uh, to uh, prepare uh, Turkish cities uh, to uh, this event. Uh, And what we've seen, unfortunately, is that over the past 20 years, after the big earthquake in the Marmara region in 1999, uh, which constitutes a milestone, uh, even after that, uh, not enough has been done uh, 
uh, to really restructure uh, the city landscapes. Uh, and really, there's a lack of enforcement, uh, which is uh, ultimately the biggest shortcoming, where you see these buildings, uh, which normally uh, should be able to withstand these type of shocks, uh, but they were not. And, and that's really a matter of enforcement, of lacking enforcement. And that's a big issue. Sinan, thank you so much for joining us here on World Business Report and bringing us up to date with the economic implications of what we're seeing happening in Turkey at the moment. We will also look at Syria again in the programme. We'll go back to Victoria Craig for an update of what is happening. But let's move now to another part of the world because the US President Joe Biden will deliver his annual message to the US Congress in the President's annual State of the Union address later on Tuesday. The economy is going to be a huge part of that speech. Here's Michelle Fleury, the BBC's New York business correspondent. Once a year, the President gives the State of the Union address to Congress. It's an opportunity to talk about the issues important to most Americans and to try to offer solutions. Madam Speaker, the President of the United States. This year, the President is likely to point to easing inflation to allay fears that the US might be headed for a recession. He's also expected to make the case that the Biden economic plan is working. He already did so last Friday after the release of much better than expected jobs data. Add that all up, it means we've created 12 million, 12 million jobs since I took office. That means we have created more jobs in two years than any presidential term. And in the days after the speech, President Biden is expected to hit the road to promote projects around the country that have been funded by his infrastructure package. But the prospects for future legislative wins look dim. This is Biden's first speech since Republicans took control of the House of Representatives. Instead of two fellow Democrats sitting behind him, Republican House Speaker Kevin McCarthy will be looking over his shoulder, along with Vice President Kamala Harris. And so the question is... How much will this speech lay out an agenda he'd like to accomplish with a divided government? And how much will be a re-election speech, effectively a set-up for a second run for office in 2024? Michelle posing a question there. Let's get some answers. Julia Coronado was a former economist at the Federal Reserve. She's now the president of the independent research group Macro Policy Perspective. So what is the state of the US economy? Well, it is confusing. The state of the labor market is very strong. We just saw the unemployment rate tick down to the lowest rate since 1969. So we really haven't seen any let up in the strength and resilience of the job market. On the other hand, we have seen GDP growth slow from the extraordinary rates of the reopening and the rebound to something that we would generally consider to be below trend. We see measures of sentiment weighed down by concerns of a potential recession, both business and consumer sentiment. So there's a lot of concern about the outlook. On the other hand, we've got the strongest and most resilient job market we've had in generations. A lot of people in the U.S., will want to hear the president tell them that inflation is going to really start coming down. The problem is, he can't do that, can he? 
he has to walk a fine line on inflation. He has to acknowledge that it's been very high and it's been very difficult for consumers. And he has to show some recognition and sensitivity to that. On the other hand, I think he also has to express some optimism. We have seen both headline and core measures of inflation cool off pretty notably. They're still elevated, but they have shown definitely energy prices have come way down. Core inflation has started to slow. So I think he can point to some progress, but I don't think that he can, you know, sugarcoat the fact that it really has been a challenge for uh, households to navigate this very high inflation over the last year. If he wants to run for president again, this will be the State of the Union, won't it, where he will have to, I suppose, unveil his vision for the economy over the next few years. What do you think that vision will be and what should it be? Well, he definitely has a vision. I think he's going to point to some of the longer term investments that the administration has gotten through in terms of building an economy of the future, an economy for the energy transition and to address climate change. I think he wants to see a more competitive, fair economy. And I think he'll talk about that. The vision for him and for his re-election campaign will be, we want a government that works for the people and that addresses some of the challenges that we're facing, rather than one that stands back and doesn't do anything. Can we talk about one of those challenges? Do you think he'll talk a lot about it in his speech, the debt ceiling? The Republicans want him to stop spending so much. He doesn't want to do that. Where is the compromise here? Will he outline that, do you think, in his speech? The message he has been sending, and we are likely to hear from him, is that he is not willing to negotiate on the debt limit, that this is not about fiscal policy. Those decisions are best made in the normal budgeting process. This isn't about fiscal compromise. He is definitely taking a harder line on the debt limit. Julia Coronado there with her thoughts. Let's get the thoughts now of George Conboy, who is the chairman of Brighton Securities in New York. What would you, I mean, the markets are going to be looking closely at what President Biden says. We heard about domestic stuff there. What do you think he might say about China? Right. Well, he's going to have a lot to say about the economy and he wants to pitch it in the most positive way. But investors are listening less uh, to what Joe Biden has to say and more to listen to what uh, Fed Chairman Powell has to say, particularly in regards to interest rates and what the expected direction of interest rates is in the country. The market would like them a little lower, uh, but it fears they may go a little higher. And George, on that China question, the world will be watching closely what President Biden says, because what a lot of people don't want to see, but they expect to see now, is rising tension between these two great economic superpowers. Yeah, very timely, Rahul, because our our trade deficit just hit an all-time high, something like $12 billion. And there's a concern there that that could lead to a weaker dollar. There's a concern there that will end up with higher interest rates. Uh, But the the reopening that has been an ongoing thing for over a year now has stimulated demand now that we've gotten some of the supply chain kinks worked out and Americans are buying at the retail level. Uh, Concern on the durable goods side that rates may mean lower housing and automobile purchases. But at the retail level, customers are buying and, and a lot of that comes out of China.
It certainly does. A, a quick one for you, George. A lot of people look at the US and they get very confused about the economy. Um, you know, inflation's high, but the job market's so strong. Are Americans, do you think, confused themselves? Uh, the, the signs certainly are confusing. Uh, Americans look at inflation being up and they, they don't necessarily worry about what Powell has to say, but they look at the price of eggs or the price of a gallon of gasoline or their electric utility bills. And certainly the average American is being squeezed in terms of what they have to pay for everyday needs. So it's a big concern. They hear about job growth, but they don't necessarily see those jobs in their community. A lot of that is the rebound from low employment levels during the pandemic. So there have been more jobs, but some of those jobs are jobs that were there, went away and are coming back. A real mixed bag of signals. Okay, that's the market's view of the State of the Union speech. A quick one on BP, the big oil company here, announced profits double to shy of just $28 billion. Not the only big oil company to do that in recent weeks. We have Exxon, we've had Shell. US doesn't have a windfall tax. Will they be looking at the likes of these oil companies and saying maybe they should have one? They'll try to get it from them. They tried that back in the 70s. They'll try again because there's so much money being made there. Uh, It seems unlikely that they'll get that with a divided Congress. Markets like the divided Congress, not because I think in particular investors want Democrats or Republicans. I think that investors are reluctant to hand the keys over to either side uh, because either side will tend to go off too far in one direction or the other. I don't think think with divided government that a windfall profits tax is uh, going anywhere with the oil companies. Not this year. George, thank you for joining us on the program. Let's move to Africa now. South Africa's power crisis is worsening every day of 2023 so far has had rolling blackouts and the situation is set to continue for at least two years. The power cuts are affecting all sorts of the economy and have caused huge protests. We're probably going to see more protests like that. One business being impacted is Soweto Creamery, an ice cream company based in Soweto. Tando Makubu is the founder and owner. Thank you so much for joining us here on the programme. When you hear those protests, I'm sure it's affecting your business. Do you sometimes think I want to take to the streets as well? Uh, Afternoon. I hope everyone is good. Those protests actually scare me. They remind me of the 2021 July unrest. So if the the load shedding pandemic continues going to be a problem give me give us an idea you're somebody in a business that needs power otherwise all your products melt how do you cope uh we are fortunate that we invested in a generator last year actually yeah i think last year or two years ago we invested in a generator as you know we've had load shading for like uh, 16 years, ever since 2007. So there was a time last year or two years ago, I don't remember well, we had an issue with electricity and I had told my team that we need to invest in a generator. It was uh, an investment of like 15,000, which is a lot. I mean, we need to run a business and and, and have stock and all of those things. But, so, but you shouldn't uh, have to do that, should you? Your government should be able to provide you power so you don't have to spend you know, much needed capital on on things that the government should be providing for you? 
100%. When we started uh, Soyoto Creamery with the, the unemployment grants, we were we, we were not planning on having these blackouts. But we, we find ourselves uh, using our profits to uh, stay afloat or to run. Because if we do not turn on the generator, if the ice cream melts and refreezes again, the structure of the ice cream is destroyed. Yeah, you can't survive without electricity. Do you get a sense that things are getting better or things are getting worse? Uh, at this point, as you know, I'm from Soweto and I have been living within poverty and inequality for very long. It really scares me that it's going to be really, really worse. So I don't see it improving. Uh, 2022 was the worst year of load shedding. So I am really worried as a South African citizen and especially as a business owner. As a business owner, it must be hard to keep going when you have these challenges facing you every day. So at this point, I need to try and stay optimistic. Uh, we we were looking into inverters and lithium cells and all of those things, but the initial cost is really expensive. It's like 100,000 rands for a lithium set and inverters, except uh, your solar panels. So we need to try and find an alternative uh, way rather than using a generator. As you know, a generator consumes petrol, you know. Mm. So if the government won't, won't come to the party, it's going to be a real issue. Thank you so much for joining us, Tanda. We're going to keep in touch with you and see how things improve or don't improve when it comes to the power situation in South Africa. Let's return to our coverage of the situation in Turkey and Syria following Monday's earthquake. More than 5,000 people have now died. That death toll is increasing. Victoria Craig is in the Turkish capital, Ankara. Um, You know, you have been there for a while now, getting a sense of how people are going to cope economically with the challenges that lie ahead for this country. Tell us more about what you've discovered. Yeah, well, we talked earlier about people lining up to donate their blood. And just a couple of hours ago, I also visited a huge complex that's basically been turned into an emergency distribution center here in the capital. And honestly, it was quite something. It was very loud. It was very chaotic, but also organized in a weird way. And there were lots of young people, students from nearby universities. They were boxing up donated supplies, making human chains, very long human chains, just to get packages onto waiting trucks. I spoke to a couple of volunteers there, one who's been touched personally by this massive earthquake. People are passing a lot of boxes. There's a lot of lines right now. All of um, the things that are being sent to the region are being boxed and packaged to being sent with uh, via road. Um, right now, there are operations like this in many different large depots and places. Um, right now, that's what we're doing here. I also have family that live in the region. They're good, thank God, but it was very stressful. And also, I, it's just the urge to help as much as you can, do what you can do, even if it's physical labor, just to help. Uh, my name is Yelin. I'm normally a student, but uh, today I'm trying to join the SM lines. We are trying to support our uh, citizens. You just really want to be here and help? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Directly, that's only me and my friends' uh, decision. Victoria, you ended the programme with some hope in what's a difficult situation. A quick one to you. You know Turkey so well. Economically, it struggles so much. This is going to be a challenge for it, isn't it? 
Yeah, massive logistical, political challenge, all of those things. But as you say, a slight ray of hope, some numbers, 47 massive trucks at that distribution center were loaded up and on them, 340,000 loaves of bread to the southern region. Victoria, we're going to hear a lot more from you over the course of the next few days. You're going to hear a lot more of the situation in Turkey and Syria, of course, here on the BBC World Service. We will continue our coverage of what is happening on the ground with our correspondents. OS on very, very shortly with James Reynolds, where the coverage will continue. That is it for World Business Report. You're listening to the BBC World Service, and here's what's happening in the studio this week. The globally renowned Guyanese British artist Hugh Locke is best known for sculptures assembled from materials and symbols of our age, from coats of arms to weapons to boats. Join him in his London studio, where he's creating his biggest project to date. In the studio, today at 23.30 GMT.